ball. Free association. That's right. No, yeah. no boundaries at all. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that when we started a live stream uh, recently, I think I was in the middle of asking one of you about your migraines and how they almost become a bit hallucinogenic. And I saw someone in the comments was like, were you guys talking about LSD when I first because <laughs> <laughs> I was there going, going migraines sound pretty fun actually <laughs> I think you said that you wanted to have a migraine after you <laughs> come on give me a migraine yeah, yeah. yeah. oh gosh <laughs> no, don't, don't, please don't so, you. it's June 5th today Monday June 5th this is our 22nd solid ground live stream so glad to see you all and welcome to the chat anybody who is joining us and um, David, would you would you like oh, yeah. to start us off? I will, yes. So the Solid Ground Burp. Solid Ground is a peer support community for anyone concerned about the imposition of critical social justice, CSJ, aka Woke, and or COVID mandates in their workplace, university, children's school, or community. We offer weekly online peer support groups in which members share ideas, thoughts, and support for how to navigate the impact of these ideologies and answer the question, where do we go from here? You can join one of our groups for only $5 per month. To find out how to join our community, please visit solidgroundsupport.com. And please note Solid Ground does not provide psychotherapy or legal advice, and nothing we do should be construed as such. Excellent. Thank you very much, David. You guys aren't laughing in the background when I do that, are you? I don't know why. When it, I just want to laugh. I don't know. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> it's my change of demeanor, isn't it? From like, <clears throat> Okay. Well, you get your telephone voice on. It's like mom is yelling at the kids and then the phone rings <laughs> and she answers the phone very differently. <laughs> you got your telephone voice. Oh, no, I'm self-conscious now. Oh no, it's a good telephone voice. And you don't say pounds very often. So that's that's good. Quits. Brained it yeah. out of him. I guess it would be good to describe the group, uh, the so solid ground, the community a little bit, because you that's a great, the blurb is good and it gives the overview. But um just in loose terms, what what is it? What do you guys you want to talk about what people experience? What what's the point of joining solid ground? Um, the one 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 thing comes to mind immediately is to know you're not alone and that you are not going crazy. That's and because that's one of the things that people say. It's like, oh, thank God, you know, I'm not the only person who's struggling with, mm -hmm. you know, being told crazy ideas and being told that I have to say things or go along with things that I don't believe. So people say they feel so much less alone and less lonely and. Um, it's nice to sort of have that reassurance of there are other people who are awake to this um, attempt at a cultural revolution and that they're, um, they can have, a, have conversations with people who share that awareness. Yeah, I think for some people also just, just to get to speak freely at all. I, I mean, I get, sometimes get the impression that some of the people, some of the things they come and say here, like they never, they haven't had a person to mm. say them out loud to at all. Um, and there's such a relief in that. Um, and I, I also say too, there's there's some of us who are really researchers or rabbit hole <laughs> go downers or something like that. And so there's you know there's active stuff actually on the platform where people post articles and stuff. Um, and so for people who uh, there's an intellectual um, 
aspect to this, like trying to understand or make sense of this. There are definitely some people who, you know, bring interesting questions and um, bits of information for people to discuss. Mm -hmm. And so there's the, the platforms, the locals platform that Jody started. And so is it, can anybody just sign up to that and, and post in locals and con connect online that way? Is That's just open for anybody who wants to join, right? I think so. And then mm -hmm. we do the second tier is if you want to join the groups, there's a $5 buy-in. It's not very much. It's not expensive. It's just $5 a month so that you are, I don't know, I don't want to use the word vetting. We're not really vetting people, but it's sort of a, it, it's sort of another level of um, what expression of interest and, and commitment. Mm -hmm. And then in the groups, we have right now four per week and they are an hour and a half long. And each of us is facilitating one of these groups right now. And it's just a, a nice free exchange of thoughts and ideas and experiences. Do you guys often do a prompt or do you let it just kind of flow into what people want to talk about? I can just let it flow sometimes or just I sometimes start it off by saying is there anything burning that someone wants to bring and sometimes like if there's some there's someone's coming with a bit of energy of something they want to just get out get off their chest then I think people in the group are quite sort of like on board with just allowing someone to just get that off their chest and it's often starts a bit more of a lively debate but sometimes it you know it's just what what people feel like they want to bring um a bit more free and easy and I guess I'd just add as well that, that um uh you don't have to feel like you're a particular don't know, political persuasion. You don't, you can be, we, we're very much, we're, some of us are like-minded, but there's lots of people with different views. And I think the only thing that we all share is a kind of like a, a curiosity and, a, and maybe even a modesty that we're not all getting things right and that there's plenty more to learn. And yeah, that, that, that discussion is the best way to get there anyway. Mm -hmm. Is that similar to your experience, Jennifer? Yeah, sometimes um, sometimes somebody will um, be coming to group who's just watched the live stream and they might have comments and we might talk about, uh, follow up a bit about what we discussed in the live stream. Other times I just ask people what's on their minds or sometimes, um, you know, I've just seen something really interesting in the news and I'll talk about that and ask people if they saw it and that'll be sort of the springboard for our discussion. It's all kind of, um, just whatever emerges in the moment. There's not really a formula. What do you think, Deborah? Yeah, I'd say similar. I see what's in the what's in the room, <laughs> what's in the Zoom room. I haven't done anything where we've intentionally put out a topic. I've wondered, David, you and I've talked about that too, mm -hmm. about potentially if we thought we had a topic, even like announcing it on the um, on locals, so that people were interested in the topic, they might come I, I don't know we haven't done it but we were like huh what would that be like if people knew in advance there was going to be one would they you know would they get themselves over to it or not so but so far I've mostly just attended to like what's happening in the moment or what people need hmm. I mean that, that's an interesting idea isn't it just if we opened up and said there's any topics people want to talk about in the next week or so and then that people suggest them and then one of us could pick it up or something like that I don't know that would be a good way of getting people to interact and bring things along with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've had a couple of times where somebody will bring something up that's really interesting. And so we'll save that and open with it the following week. 
and it's it's created some really great discussions. I think it's nice sometimes to have a a, a topic, but then other times it's a, a topic will emerge if you're just hanging out. And it's and one of the things that I really appreciate is the way that people get to know each other over time. Mm-hmm. And we have you know regulars who come back week after week where we we all get to know each other. And the conversation just really flows. And sometimes I, it feels like an hour and a half is too short. Sometimes it just feels like we're just getting going and, mm. and then it's over. So it's really fun. It's been a great experience. Yeah, I mean, some of the people in my group and throughout the like last year and a half, people have been uh, fighting certain things in, in, in kind of legal battles or even having kind of HR meetings and things like that, that, that they've got coming up and we can discuss what they want to go through in that. So yeah, there's a lot of, there is that sense of like checking in with people again and seeing how things went. Um, I'm often quite keen to sort of catch up and see if, see if there's been any developments um, since we last spoke. Well, it's nice because you get to have a sense of continuity with people and some other people who understand aspects of your experience over time. That's cool. And it kind of goes both ways because either I mean, we've had consolation, which like to have to offer people and then also sort of, yay, congratulations. You know, yeah. you won whatever that legal thing was. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of in both ends of it. Mm-hmm. So solid ground aside, how are y'all doing? Are you enjoying this Pride Month? <laughs> I don't know why when you say that, I have this really immature impulse to like stand up and pull up my shirt. <laughs> well, you can... Wow, that's not we know impulse, you get that impulse from time to time, Jennifer. <laughs> yeah. uh, we know. <laughs> so this is just one of the things that that triggers. You can be on pride. Is lifted to lifted top up. You know. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think what's interesting is I'm on Twitter a lot, and so seeing. Um, and maybe I just follow more people who might say this, but seeing even people within the, say the LGB, like that part of the community um, saying, this is getting too much, or we don't like that this got so corporate, or mm-hmm. um, I, I, I don't even want this anymore. It used to mean something. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a, or a wearying of it, or even interestingly too, there's, there's the um, not liking ways that maybe it's gotten more, um, I don't know, like risque is not the word, just blatantly mm. sexual, like public, publicly or something like that, or people being clear, like, I don't think I want children near that. And so, you know, even within the community, there are people going, oh, wait a minute. Um, and again, I might be only following a small subsection and perhaps other people are very excited about it, but um, there's been some grumbling. I've seen that a lot too. I'm I'm seeing that as well. I think that there are a lot of people who are not happy with what's going on right now. And the corporatism is a big part of that. Like the, I mean, we all, I don't know if we've talked about it, but it's been talked about quite a bit. The thing with Target, for instance, where they're putting out this merchandise that's really like overt propaganda and featuring it front and center in their stores and you've got all these videos of moms going in and showing it and I've seen it I'm I I haven't uh have I been to a target recently maybe in the last couple of months I have and they have this they do have a whole section kind of like all the time for that and it makes me wonder like so this ties into a different thing I guess but like the youth culture 
the youth are at one of the the developmental stages we go through is this process of differentiation and there's a by necessity a rebellious spirit that emerges during this time <laughs> excuse me how are we going to rebel how are people going to rebel when their rebellion is being fed to them with a corporate sponsorship like is that <laughs> are we going to see a backlash against this among the youth at some point where they just all become something else in response to this heavy-handed propaganda what do you guys think i mean you didn't have like you didn't have target with like uh or you know or whatever the uk equivalent is of target tk maxx or something like uh you didn't have a version you didn't have a part of the the store that was dedicated to say marilyn manson supporters like 20 years ago you know but, yeah, the goths the goths all you know all the rebels that, that came along and went and bought their stuff from target bought their chains and things like that and put on their big boots i don't think that happened did it it's quite quite clearly not that <laughs> yeah it's like this is your this is your um rebellion and, and then with like trademark <laughs> like a little trademark symbol to yeah. <laughs> aside yeah. from the scoring you know the esg and the other things like is it also i mean just because there's this we stated anti-capitalist sentiment you know amongst um critical social justice people like, is it a way of um i don't know like trying to appease them or something like no but we're really for you we really care it's okay like it's don't worry it's capitalism I, I i don't know i don't know if it's i don't know how much of it's happening from that or it's just because they're being required to do these things um because of some sort of scoring system that's tied to their financing mm -hmm. um, i mean no target even years back was more was being a bit more liberal about things even before the advent of these you know esg and cei and these other indices but um it's hard to tell like what what you know i think that that's cranked it up i think having the scoring has just accelerated what was already happening what do you think jennifer okay i'm trying to i'm trying to put into words what kind of doesn't sit right with me about it and something feels very forced so I, like you're being force fed like it's it's too much everywhere and all the time. And, and it does feel like everybody's telling you like how to feel and what to do. And if the corporations are telling you that and all the schools are telling you that, I don't, I don't just remember that when I was a kid, it was like, if um, I was more sort of suspicious of whatever was being pushed on me, I would, I would just immediately feel like, well, why does everybody want me to think that? Or mm. why does everybody want me to, to um, act as if? And, and I, I'm just, I don't know. It's just, it might just be my um, sort of, I don't know, I guess oppositional personality or something, but I don't, I don't, I don't, know, I don't like it. It doesn't, it doesn't work for me. And I, I do understand that like, you know, for some people who have really struggled because of, um, you know, who they are sexually, that having, having like a sense of community around it can be beneficial. And they get that from all the, you know, the pride stuff. So I get that piece, but the whole kind of um, hype and it's a whole month and um, it feels very like you're being controlled in some, in some way. 
by mm. corporations, by the government. And what was that street in England? It was crazy. I don't know if it was Regent Street last year. It had all these um, pride flags just hanging in a row. Like it looked authoritarian, like Stalinist right. or something. Yeah. But like, everybody be gay, queer, or trans now. You know, it's just, there's something. Sorry, I'm totally inarticulate about it. It just doesn't. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. I, I, yeah, I, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just Rockefeller Center has it, you know, around the ice, what's usually the ice skating rink. It's just all, and it's that same thing. It's just a very, anything that you would have just a lot of, like in a flag, right? Like that, that there's something behind that, that, that it, it, there's an extra force to the symbolism, whatever the flag might be. That's the word, militant. It feels militant to me. Mm -hmm. And I think sexuality by definition is not militant. And it shouldn't be political. I still see sexuality as sacred and I see it as the life force. Mm -hmm. And every time I talk, my dog barks. And um, and I just, I, I also see it as private though. Like I don't see it as something that you want to um, sort of celebrate publicly. There's the boundaries um, topic. There's the boundaries topic, right? Well, yeah, you know what's interesting? Um, I when I was going over that curriculum that I I had that parent that I was talking with a couple weeks ago, and we went through a bunch of the curriculum that was being um, taught to these elementary school kids about sex. It was called Our Whole Lives, I think. Owl. Uh, this this like sex curriculum. And it started with five-year-olds up to 12-year-olds. And the with the, the older group of kids, the nine to 12-year-olds, there were all these exercises where they were the teacher was supposed to read different prompts or offer different cards to the kids and they were supposed to read them. And then they were asked to contemplate these experiences for the hypotheticals on the cards. And many of them focused on people feeling sad or discriminated against. And so you were the, the narrative that was being built was, you have to defend these people, be angry on behalf of these poor oppressed people and, and build a sense of um, allyship and defensiveness around these protected groups. And then I got this letter from Antioch this morning uh, reflecting on LGBTQIA plus civil rights during Pride Month. And they're talking about the civil rights and the way that these people are being erased. And one of the things was by children um, in some states being, uh, they're not, they're, they're bills that are being passed that prohibit people from bringing or, or doing drag performances around children. And that this is a violation of civil rights. And I think what is, what is going on here where we're trying to activate children so young to be angry on behalf of these oppressed people who are oppressed because of things like not being able to wear cross-sex costumes around children. That's an oppressive restriction on, on people. And, and so it's, and it's, these bills are governing <clears throat> aspects of behavior, but the behavior is being tied into identity so closely. And that's interesting. And I, so I don't know, those are just a bunch of loose thoughts strung together, but it sounds, it's, when you say everything all at once, all over the place at the same time, Jennifer, that's that militant aspect of that tied together with the coaching and grooming of children to feel certain ways about this. Yeah. It's really quite disturbing. Yeah. It's also 
exposing kids to sexual material at a really young age, which mm -hmm. when I was doing my clinical training, that was considered a form of sexual abuse. Like if you exposed a child to pornography, that was considered sexual abuse. I still believe that that's activating things in a child that they don't have the maturity to handle. And it's also not their time yet to be thinking of those things. They have other developmental tasks and this is interrupting that. I mean, people will discover sex on their own without a lot of help. I think we can all look back to and remember when we first started having questions and natural curiosity and it's a natural process. And when it comes up, the parents can ask, can answer those questions at a, you know, age appropriate level, but showing kids things, you know, in elementary school about sex acts to me, they're, they are, I mean, and it's the coming from the government It's happening in public schools as well as private. It's so creepy. It's like the government is sexualizing children and people are enraged whenever you suggest that perhaps they shouldn't. And it just makes you wonder, right? Why are you so militant about needing to sexualize children? Yeah, there's that's this boundary thing too. There's something about not recognizing adult and child as different and this denial of developmental psychology like this, which I guess some of this comes from Foucault and some of these, you know, earlier postmodernist thinkers where that that is that that's an imposition, is that's an oppressive thing to suggest that uh, like a child is not like at the same level or subject to certain certain mm -hmm. things or certain protections. And um, yeah, we're just really running up against that. And there's often the excuse of things like, well, porn's already out there and kids are seeing it. So we need to explain all this stuff or something like that. I still think you don't, you don't need to, but it, it is, oh, however, this notion of childhood innocence is getting eroded. It's just, um, and it feels like it feels crazy. We have to fight that, you know, like who should have to fight that, right? And that there it is. What do you think, David? I was just thinking about, yeah, all the, all the I guess, the parents that quite willingly trot their kids out um, to, to, to recycle their mantras and, you know, post it on social media to say, look at little Timmy, he's saying all the right words. And you're just like, this is, you, no one in their right minds think that you you've accomplished anything by by um indoctrinating your child it's <laughs> indoctrinating children has been something that we, hopefully we thought we were breaking free of in our secular world but now it's coming back with a vengeance <laughs> um yeah mm. i was also just thinking about the capitalistic aspect of this this just seems nuts as well i mean like corporations trying to clean their hands of things by by getting involved in pride we've got this i don't know if this is connected but it's just kind of going on in my head but like this have you guys heard of this philip schofield thing that's happening a little bit in this country there's a another disgraced um, media personality a sort of daytime tv host the sort of person who might be on the view or something like that but he's been a sort of a lovey and a he's very much considered a a, a kind of squeaky clean presenter who's been on tv for 30 40 years i think now and um i won't go into his whole history but the the media are having a feeding frenzy on him they really are and he has what he what he did was he sort of there's allegations that he groomed a young child into the media um into the media organization at, at the age of 15 and helped kind of promote him through the system and then they they even had a relationship while this guy was married and then there was a moment in which 
Philip Schofield revealed that he was gay. This was about two years ago. And this was around the time when things looked like they were starting to be leaked out of the organization. So now it looks like, looking back on it, that was a strategic moment for him to try and kind of control the narrative so that he would get sympathy for coming out with his sexuality. And um, I mean, yeah, th th there's lots of reasons to be critical of this, this individual in the media, but there's this way that the media are now feasting upon their own, which is just this way of controlling the narrative so that the media companies and corporations come out on top. It's almost like we'll send, they're quite happy to just put these people on a pedestal and then when they need to they'll just wipe their clean clean their hands a little bit by just kind of going look how look how sort of virtuous we are by by attacking this individual and it's sort of it's just like i don't know it's not it's not it's not revealing anything about the machinery the kind of cynical machinery behind it it's just i don't know surface level stuff that's just annoying me at the moment i don't know if that's connected but it feels like it is <laughs> well it's like he failed the purity test and so he right. has to be ousted mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he gets the, the companies, the, the media get to go, look how virtuous we are. We're washing our hands of this guy. Look what we'll do to this person. And there's all these media characters kind of going, yeah, he was always a wrong one and stuff like that. And you think, it's just, it's, I'm maybe getting quite cynical, but um, yeah. You know, it's hard for me to get a grasp on. I was just wondering about this and writing about this somewhere else is, is to really understand, and I feel this is why I feel ignorant. I could get said, "Well, you're straight, this, that, and so you shouldn't even speak or whatever." But like, I I would understand really the state of you know daily life for someone who's in the LGBTQ community, um, the extent to which like going just through average day, you know, what the degree of discrimination people are experiencing. I was just listening to Josh Slocum this morning on Disaffected. And this is anecdotal, right? This is one person's story. And actually Josh is, okay, two people, right? And he had a guest he was talking to who's an actor. And this guy is gay. He's an actor. He said he's also Hispanic. He's been married to his husband for six years, known him for 12. And he said, I think, I think it's been maybe a couple decades. I like, and Josh Logan was saying, I think it's been 25 years since someone made some sort of slur or remark or something. And so but I don't know. I don't want to like if there are places, regions of the country where I don't know, it's it's um, people are hearing things. It's hard to imagine people aren't getting jobs or anything. But like, I don't I don't know what the degree is. But I'm, what I'm watching, though, is this amping up of we're unsafe. We're under attack. Republicans are coming after us. We're being erased. I just actually somebody I know on Facebook posted that um, the other day and. I just was like thinking, okay, what media is this person looking at? It's hard for me to think he lives in New York City. I don't think it's happening to him here in New York City. Um, and I don't know how we stop that. Like somehow people are getting frightened. Um, and and if I am missing something that's going on that's that's harmful, I'd like to know. But it, I, I tend to think it's not anything like it was decades ago you know, if at all. So I don't know if you have a read on like, what's the reality of how we want to call it LGBTQ community is being treated? Well, I, I know the, the stuff that, for instance, Antioch put in their note about the discrimination and civil rights uh, threats to LGBTQIA plus people, as they call them, um, include four bullet points. There's one about, um, states banning gender-affirming care for people under 18. 
So that that is a violation of LGBTQIA plus civil rights. So that's the discrimination. And then the other one, the uh, second one was uh, bathroom bills preventing students. And this is this applies to like K through 12 students from using cross-sex bathrooms. So that's another instance of discrimination. The third one is <clears throat> that in Florida specifically, it says new laws and policies prevent public school teachers. So it's again about children from yes. teaching about the existence of LGBTQIA plus people. And then and the other, the last one is that in, in, again in Florida that people are banned from uh, having minors at shows, at drag shows. So those are the those are the ways that these people right now are facing civil rights discrimination according to this university. And so if that's the thing that we need to be out protesting so that these people can have the rights to do these things, then what in the world are we even talking about? This right. is we're talking about interacting with children, and so like the LGBTQIA plus people existing, like for instance, the Florida bill, they're talking about that one that they call the don't say gay bill, which is basically just something that prevents the teachers from talking to kids about sex periods. They can't talk about heterosexual sex or homosexual sex. But again, we're conflating sexuality with identity completely because the person exists, but they exist on so many other levels. The fact that you're prevented from sharing this one facet of yourself is not an erasure of your existence as a person. I mean, we're, we're so much more complicated. Do I need to really talk about my sex life in order to exist? I just don't see how that makes any sense at all. Well, it's like, who are you hanging out with? You know, <laughs> I think that bill um, too, I think it only covers up to grade three. You may not discuss sexuality of any sort with students, which seems entirely reasonable. Absolutely, yeah. To me. Oh, you know, the, 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 um, sort of, um, left, left media is great at framing these things in a way that nice people look at it and say, oh my gosh, that's so awful. They're just going after gay people because most people are relatively low information and they're not going to go and read the bill directly. And so they believe, oh, that's what it says. And that's awful. Therefore there's an attack on these people, but there's absolutely, there's absolutely not. Their opinions are being manipulated. And if you're a parent, why do you want your teacher talking to your child grade kindergarten through, through, through third grade? Why do you want them having conversations about sexuality with your kid? I mean, since when is it the job of the schools to do this to begin with? We used to have the one the one day in class where they explained just very technically how reproduction works. And that was that, and your parents had to sign permission for that. And that was, I think, in fifth grade. Um, and mm -hmm. fair enough, right? So, but now it's like, unless the school, the schools are infused with all of this um, sexual material, people are now taking this as a strike upon civil rights. But that we never have done this well, and it's, and it's circular. The circularity of this is, is what's so, so striking to me is that it is, <clears throat> we must teach these kids about these things because these communities are being oppressed. 
these communities are being oppressed by not being able to teach kids about this. So it's like the snake is eating its tail. And it's like the very oppression that they're seeking to overturn is this process. It's not any other thing. What are you pointing to? How are these people being oppressed? Yeah. Being oppressed by being blocked from kids. Yeah. I can't remember that I can't remember you know we talked about the different subsets of kind of individual groups that were involved in the process of like promulgating like woke stuff we had the individuals who were there who were just kind of going along with the flow I don't know who I can't remember the name of those guys but the people the people that trot out things that just that are just like these hollow mantras of sort of of course people from the LGBTQ plus community are oppressed on a daily basis how many people just are kind of assuming that what we're talking about is like, yeah, actual verbal abuse on the street or like, you know, someone being physically intimidating, not getting access to resources, not getting, you know, get the, the fundamentals of, of what you need in your life to kind of, uh, I don't know, to, to prosper. But but how many people are just assuming that those mantras when they're trotted out are pointing to those things? And, and actually how few people really understand that what we're doing is actually just a war on these very small areas, which are, when you look at them, and like you say, Leslie, about actually something that comes into conflict with the boundaries that we use to protect children. <laughs> yeah, I mean- And I think- Sorry, Deborah. Deborah. Sorry, I was gonna say where I, I don't know if I can get sympathetic, but I like, I, again, I try to get into other people's shoes. I, like, I, I, try, I wonder, say someone who's out in their forties or their fifties, and when they grew up, they had to keep closeted um there was like all this shame and I, I like I sometimes try to get in their shoes and think about just this desire to have kids who might be of similar similarly inclined um to either know it's okay that they are or to know oh there are some people who have two parents that are you know of one sex or, or just just to have it Get to be in their awareness. I, I'm not saying we should be doing all the things that they're suggesting on their side, but I'm trying to get into like the, the heads of this because it, it feels often to me that it's people who from previous generations who just did have it so bad are just, like just tumbling over themselves to like try to make sure that doesn't happen to somebody else. But the ways that they're going about it, or the ways that some of them are going about it, right, are just beyond. Like it's just like it's like too it's a little too much or too far, but I try to keep in my mind sometimes like, okay, what would that have been like? And how much, you know, you just want this to not happen to somebody else, but it's going, you know, kind of over the top. <laughs> well, it sounds like somebody getting stuck in fight mode. It's like you, you identify with a process and your identity is wrapped up in that process of whatever that is. Maybe that's bucking the system or pushing for rights for this. And I don't know, is that, is that kind of the picture you're yeah, and even maybe a projection of like, well, it's similar with the, I think with, again, these are like complex issues. I feel like I'm making a really reductive statement, but there are, you know, people experience things say around race that happened a number of decades ago. And it's, it's sometimes it seems like the emotional um, reality for people, like as though that has not sort of caught up with what's just happening in the present. And there, it, it, I, I'm fascinated by whatever is, how that's happening, you know, mm -hmm. for people, but it, it seems like it's hard to, and it may be because it was so difficult. I don't know, right? Like that it doesn't seem to make the adjustment to what is happening right now. Like again, like you could see kids now, and there may be kids. I mean, I do hear stories of kids having been bullied for for being gay, but generally speaking, you get the impression that schools mm -hmm. are celebrating it. There's the 
LGBTQ club, there's the Gray Straight Alliance, like, like most kids these days, if they decide to opt into that um, identity, even because they really are it, or they, they want to be it for some reason, it seems to be a preferred um, Well, you're opting into something that is overtly celebrated, overtly. It's not even just a little bit celebrated. There's not a question about it. They've got a flag for you flying everywhere. <laughs> you are part of the in club if you do that. I think, I think Eric Kaufman did a piece of research looking at the LGBTQ community and looking at anxiety and depression and mental health. And he was he found that those individuals who, who actually um, engaged in on the day to day basis behavior that that suggested they were part of that. So like behavior that would display themselves to be either lesbian or gay because they would be holding hands with a partner or kissing a partner. There's those that subset of the LGBTQ community. And then there's. Then there's those that simply opt in because they are genderqueer or, or they, they label themselves in a certain way or they like to dress up as a dog at the weekend or something, I don't know. But like the, the people like that, he's, he actually found that, that, that it, was more the, it was more the people that didn't um, engage in those behaviours that would, I guess, kind of make themselves readily um, seen by the rest of society as being part of that group. Therefore... What, 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 you, what you managed to find was that it was the anxiety and depression was much more in the people that would identify into the group, but not necessarily those people who would express and, you know, and display themselves to be part of the group. He, he was like, well, actually, this seems to be suggesting that people with like difficult, uh, fragmented personalities, people who are looking for a place to be, look, people for looking for community who are already mentally um, like having problems, they, they find themselves in this LGBTQ community and then that contributes to the mental health problems that are there. It's not necessarily about the fact that people displaying themselves are outside of the norm, display their sexual, you know, their sexual partners outside of the norm and they get discriminated against. Um, yeah. Sort of a self-selection <laughs> process. Yeah. It's really exactly. interesting to see that somebody was able to try to break that down. And I have to say, I almost lost it looking at Jennifer losing it. I know, I did as well. I was trying to carry on with what I was saying. What did the research say? Yeah. I think, I think you're speaking to the difference between the people who are just going around their lives and they happen to be attracted to certain people, whatever, right? And it's not an identity and it's not a political thing. And then this sort of more queer as queer theory, like political revolution kind of version of it. And that's the part that seems to be more... Um, connected with the, the corporate piece. Although I imagine there's, you know, way back when, when there were initial corporate in, in, initiatives for LGBTQ, it probably was more for like, oh, oh, our, I don't know, this person is, oh, happens to be gay or whatever, right? I don't know. I, I think it's morphed that the corporate's blending more with the, the political, um, mm -hmm. not to just your average, you know, gay couple who mm -hmm. lives down the block. Um, <laughs> yeah. about the average gay couple that lives down the block? A lot, a lot, I'm thinking of is it is it um trying to think of his name now uh, a gay comedian in the UK who was just recently talking about Pride Month and about about the community and he's like I'm I used to pride myself on being um, provocative of being outside of the norms of challenging things of challenging orthodoxy he goes how did this stuff become so bland and so boring and so sterile and I was like yeah I remember that like in the nineties like. Yeah, it just seemed to be different in that way. I mean, I know, you know, maybe that's a sign of like things becoming more mainstream and that's a good thing. I don't know. Can you can things become more mainstream and accepted in society and still have their edge? I don't know. 
Well, that's the question that goes back to the whole concept of rebellion and edginess and pushing boundaries. And so it seems like there's only two places to, there's only two directions that are, at least I, that I can think of that we can push boundaries at this point for people who want to do that. You can either push farther into yeah. crazy, um, what, bestiality, pedophilia, what are we talking? I mean, crazy boundary pushing in that direction, right? Or you can push backwards into something more traditional and call that edgy. And I don't know. I'm yeah. We push backwards. Jen's <laughs> having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of creepy when you think about it. And, you know, I do understand the, the impulse to kind of um, protect a kid who's realizing that they're gay and you know helping them to see that this is okay and um and certainly i don't think people should be discriminated against because of their sexuality that's just a ridiculous idea but then it seems to me like by talking about this stuff constantly in schools it's actually like having a thousand different cereals in the supermarket and it's quite confusing and to help us a, a, a it's actually a slim minority. I know now everybody thinks they're gay or this, that, or the other, but in reality, no, they're, they're, they're not. We don't have like, you know, 20% of people are gay or something. No, it's, it's simply not true. But I think that's really confusing when you're developing and you're trying to figure out who you are and what's wrong with struggling a little bit. Like clearly people shouldn't be mistreated or discriminated against, but what's wrong with having to come to terms with, oh, I'm a bit different from the norm in this area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it even makes me think, oh, go on. sorry, Jen. If you're different from the norm, you are going to encounter that and you are going to have to make peace with that within your own life that, oh, there's a thing about me that's not the same for other people. I mean, all of us have that in some area of our lives and I think it's okay. Yeah, only, only only before they might have had to go on that journey, but now they get given a serial and say, actually, it's okay because your serial character is gay, so that must mean it's all fine, right? And if people are going, actually, that's not enough. I think I need a bit more than just a serial character. You know, it's it's not it's right. not enough, is it? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I you should. You know, we're, I mean, the default assumption should be. You're probably heterosexual because most people are. That's the default. That should and that should be the default assumption. Not, hey, you might be this, you might be that, you might be. I mean, that is. Can you imagine discovering your sexuality at the same time as being told that you could be any one of these things? And by the way, you might be in the wrong body. How utterly confusing that would be. I just think it's creating a lot of confusion for a very small percentage of the population. That's some some intense cis heteronormativity right there, Jennifer. <laughs> yeah. But the norm is <laughs> the norm. It's mm -hmm. the norm. Just like it's the norm to have two arms and two legs. Do I hate somebody who's missing an arm? No. But yes, they are going to have to struggle with that. So, Anyhow. Yeah. No, I think <clears throat> I think that's that's making a good point. And uh I want to check in on the chat um uh, this is an interesting name real loser i i bet you're not a real loser our <laughs> culture has an issue with hypersexualization. why should kids be corrupted as well and then uh carib marcel hi carib 
She says, yes, Jen, exactly. I spoke with a professor who was upset that animal books show intact families. One said, not being able to bring my whole self to the classroom is doing a disservice to my students. Wow. Uh, Jay Bourne, there is no rash, rationale whatsoever for the sexualization of minors that I can think this, this does lead to a malevolent place. I probably read that wrong, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. Um, Real Loser says one of the high schools in my area debated putting a litter box in the bathroom because a kid identified as a cat. Okay. Friar mm. Pestle says, if I identify as a 747, maybe I'll get my own runway built. Okay. Uh, CNY, yeah, CNY photo video says the things we're seeing on the surface can't be the true purpose. Something bigger is behind it. And I think that, I think that too, like that's one of the things I keep coming back to with all of the, the social justice theory. Um, it's, what is it doing? I mean, what it what it's actually doing is creating friction and distance between people and causing people to fight amongst themselves. And what are we seeing at the same time? We're seeing consolidation of power on on the, the you know the national and international level. We're seeing central bank digital currencies, ESGs. We're seeing all this stuff. So it doesn't take a conspiracy theorist to say, "Hey, interesting. We've got all the people bickering amongst themselves while all the the furniture is being rearranged, you know, let's get all the people over here to fight, have a brawl. So they don't notice that we just, you know, replace their couch with, with like a floor mat or something, I, you know, it's oh. just odd. And then I also think about population control. And again, I don't think it takes a conspiracy theorist to say, wow, isn't it interesting how we're being sterilized in so many ways and how we're encouraging people to take <laughs> on identities that will preclude reproduction into families at a time when we also have so much intense climate change propaganda coming through telling us that we should breed less interesting i mean i just don't think that that's that should be that controversial to make those observations that seems pretty pretty clear to me that that's what's well, also the and also the transhumanist piece right because you know there's more like well uh, you, we don't even need a woman's body to have a baby. Like we could, we're going to have them in a sack somewhere. <laughs> like, I mean, the more that we're removing all of the sexual and reproductive functions somewhere outside of an actual person's body. Um, well, and that's that, that sex ed curriculum. Again, I just keep referencing it. Cause I think it's like, there's a lot to look at there. It talked about how, what you need for a baby is a sperm an egg and a uterus. It didn't talk about men and women. Oh. It was just, you need a sperm and egg and a uterus. It's so dehumanizing, you know, and Leslie, along with what you're saying about sterilization of people, another way to reduce the population is to keep people so confused about who they are sexually and what they want sexually, that it takes them until their mid thirties to emerge from the confusion and say, oh my gosh, I think I'd like to marry and have children. And by that time, your fertility has already decreased. That's a really good point. I mean, you've just carved out a decade of potential uh, fertile years. And so you're going to mm -hmm. decrease the number of potential children offspring that person can have. I didn't think about that. But yeah. you also generate a lot of revenue for the fertility industry too. That's right. right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. David, how do you, what do you think about this line of I mean, talking? Does it, is it too... Uh, to out there for you? I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's um, 
I, I've, I've never, I'm not I'm slightly resistant sometimes the idea of that divide and conquer thing, but it's becoming more, it's becoming harder to sort of ignore really, isn't it? Um, I just think that uh, the world as it is at the minute, people are finding their role, aren't they? And just, and just being happy with it. They're going, oh, what well, this strangeness has given me some sort of purpose and I'm just going to run with it. I'm, you know, if you want to be anti-capitalist, which I'm not necessarily completely an anti-capitalist at all, but if you want to, if you want to be anti-capitalist, you could point out the fact that all of this stuff is giving people some sense of um, a purpose in a, in, in a world that's driven by many other forces that they're not aware of. And then at the end, of, as you say, they get to the age of fucking 40 or something and they they, they realise their life has disappeared bef behind them and in some ways and they, they've made choices that they're not even completely been sure of. So, yeah, I think it is keeping people completely hooked on stuff. It's hooked on things that yeah it's fucking worrying and it's like um i'm seeing it on my course even it's just it feels like zombies are just trotting out the same words and we're not really like today today was a conference about um people's individual research projects and, and a lot of it was just felt like vanity projects in which people can talk about how they've interviewed some you know people with lived experience about things and uh, they were very sad and i know that's like a really like i'm honestly if someone on my course hears me talking about this i'm going to get crucified but like i just sat there just thinking like where is the material world here where is the material world here this is people just talking about stuff and patting themselves on the back and i just i want to live in the real world for fuck's sake well it's like endless mental masturbation right yeah and it, it's mental masturbation and it's even worse than that because it's disembodied like you're saying mm. it's, it's it's people saying stuff without thinking, I wonder if leaving my body behind for all of this amount of time is actually going to screw me up in the long term. Yeah, fuck it is, yeah. What is, so I'm sorry, Oswald Spengler says the lavender mafia. What is that? Do y'all know that word, that phrase? Well, the lavender, well, that was was tied to the LGBT community. Some, I can't what it was, was, there was some lavender something. I don't know if there was a movie or some other. Okay. Well, Hi. Oswald, if you want to pop that in the chat, I'll try to look for it. So if you want to explain what that means. The Lavender Hill mob, that was something I forgot. Oh. Deborah, I saw you reacting a lot when David was talking. What was coming up for you? You know, I'm like, I'm like what was talk? I don't remember. Uh, yeah, because I got us <laughs> off track. I, I threw in the tangent. My memory is about like one second. Um, so. Was it was it was it something to do with like the, the you, I think I talk about my course. Well, just when you say the people like like as though just going and gathering a few lived experiences was like a research project. I mean, that was yeah. one of them, right? That's it. Like like if you're doing like rigorous data collection, maybe there's some numbers and some. Not that there is there can't be something with qualitative and anecdotal data, but probably if they're resting everything on that, you know, um, yeah, it seems a little. Well, it seems like you don't have to even do that much it's just like it's there's so much bias in the room like and the thing is that it's bias that makes you feel good it's bias that makes you go yeah, yeah. probably those people did suffer yeah probably society is a load of shit isn't it yeah but it's like that doesn't get us anywhere we had like this we had this, we had a, we had, a, we had a, some interviews were done for a particular project and the girl was talking about it and she was sort of saying how she talked to one um one patient who said uh that, that she believes EUPD as a diagnosis is more more linked to a particular patient who maybe has work is working class or something like that and it was just literally a quote from a patient and then before I realized that the whole room had sort of turned into a really interesting Q&A of like of people going 
oh, it's so interesting that that is linked to working class people. And then it was like, I was there going, no, 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 that's not epidemiological research. That's a, a patient that was interviewed once and said something. And the whole room is ignited with this fervor of one wonderful. And I guess we could have a feminist critique on, on why that might be. Or we could even start talking about, you know, and then we're just off, just off hoisted by their own petard. It's just, <laughs> anyway, I've had an interesting day, so I'm, I'm living a bit of it now for you. <laughs> well, well, David, uh, Jay in the chat says, I'm curious how you managed to do these streams knowing your course mates could be watching. I could use some of your courage. <laughs> I haven't shared any of what I do here with any of my colleagues. So if they find me, then they, you know, they, des they deserve the privilege of being able to listen to us, I think, because I don't think they're going to be able to find me. <laughs> Touch wood. <laughs> Someone wanted to go back to articulate this, but it's again one of these things that disturbs me about how children are being used. If you think about like, it feels like people are trying to activate, and they may again like I I I think there's some people who really think they have good motives, like they 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 aren't trying to change the world order or something. Like somehow they really like they're not thinking well but they think they want to do well but to get children to be upset or sad because i remember seeing some curricula not just sex curricula but other curricula over the last year or two which was just get kids in an agitated state about something bad get make them sad tell them a sad story um tell them something to get them angry that and then also getting because there's this pleasure emphasis along on a lot of the sex ed and i i can understand insofar as maybe in the past, nobody was really allowed to either have pleasure or know about it, or it was bad to have pleasure. I can understand like, yes, they can be and, and, and all of that, but like, it seems like there's extra, like, so it feels like trying to harness children's most primal. Um, yeah, that's the social emotional learning. That's what they're doing in, this, in the SEL. And then, and then, and imagine if you if you got people hooked them on their pleasure. It's like you could, if they're young and they don't have their brains that developed, you could kind of just get them to say, "Well, your parents don't let you do this. Like, let me give you more candy, right?" Um, and so I just feel like uh, that just feels like such a misuse of <laughs> such a misuse of children. I mean, it's such an abuse of children because they don't have the re reasoning capacity, but they're getting stimulated in all of the ways that are very engaging in a very deep level. Yeah. Uh, can I just say something here too? <laughs> the idea that your teacher is invested in your sexual pleasure. Now that just ruins sex for me. That's gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty disgusting. Especially oh. like teenager or young person you want people to disapprove like that's part of what makes it fun it's <laughs> like a risque you know not like you don't want to picture like all the adults in your life standing around going oh God. <laughs> well it, it it sort of preemptively destroys the potential for intimacy is what it does because you have already got your sexuality has become public and it's the business of other people and so it sort of destroys the ability i think to really have a good intimate bond once that has become connected to strange others that you wouldn't have a sexual relationship with. Yeah, yeah. it's like now, like you're having sex and the politicians are in the room. Yeah. Like the room with their different ideologies. And it's just, I, I don't like the politicization of, mm -hmm. of intimacy and no. sexuality at all. I want, I just want to read this one real quick. Um, 
real loser again i you probably are such a great person i that name i hate even saying that for you um says i was exposed to pornography in middle school i had no clue that it would become an addiction pornography addiction makes you apathetic and numb it's been a journey to overcome i think that is such a good thing to highlight and i that is a a a very keen interest of mine. I, I would love to have some time to talk about that. If you guys would like to talk about that in a future live Absolutely. stream. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a huge problem, huge problem for, for men, for women, just for couples, for relationships, yeah. everything across the board. So thank you very much for highlighting that. I'm sorry that that has been your story and it's a story of many, many, many people mm. right now. So There's something that you brought with Wesley is in a, I, this combination of this privacy and then Jen, you said sacredness. Like there's some there's some things that their their value is just only enhanced in the fact that they are not widespread, that they are not public, that they are not. You know, I have some. I would never want to have to wear a veil or a burqa or anything like that. But like I, I can get I can get some essence of that. Um, just not being out like on display, like everywhere showing everything all the time and then there being a a potential like erotic quality to that when you know someone gets to share that that not the whole marketplace didn't get to um and again i'm not saying let's put women in (laughs) veils or burkas but um and people aren't seeing that there's this notion of more is better like bring your whole self to show you know all of it and it, it loses value in that way that's so true i hadn't thought of it like that it it feels like everyone's encouraged now to kind of wear as little as possible on on these pride marches but on like mtv you know performances and things like that it's 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 yeah Um, i feel like an old person but i've seen i've seen women walking with these shorts we're calling them shorts and i am like there's like butt cheek like hanging out like bottom you know and i'm i'm sitting there going why are they wearing that and i have to think geez, what, did I wear something like that back when? I don't think I wore that much exposing, exposing clothes, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. Well, t- go oh, ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, there's a touch of a, a kind of like uh, inverting the, the normative assumptions about beauty and things like that, isn't there? There's wearing horrendous thing. I don't know. It's like wearing, it's like getting all my fat out and all that stuff as well. And just putting it out there and going like, yeah, I guess I'm inverting the norms though. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. I think there's something to that for sure. Wow. It's always great to talk with you guys. We have to let everybody go now because Jen's got her group in two minutes. So we have to wrap up, but does anybody have a final thought they are burning to share? I hope any of my course mates, if they are listening, I I did really enjoy a lot of those presentations and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I only I only said that in a in a moment of madness. I, I completely <laughs> go, go back on everything I said. <clears throat> please, please keep me on the course. Thank you. <laughs> Good softening, David. Nice <laughs> job. I would like to say that um, I think I'm having very boring weekends, and that I should go out and get myself a dog costume. <laughs> <laughs> And then you'd automatically be in the LGBTQIA plus community. Yeah. And we would be proud of you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, it was uh, great to see you all. And I look forward to seeing you next week. And thanks to everybody who joined us in the chat. Thanks.